0: We'll hear argument first this morning in case 171471, Home Depot versus Jackson. Mr. Barnett.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Home Depot is a defendant under any reasonable construction of that term. And in fact, that's our only role in this case. We're just a defendant. Home Depot is not a counterclaim defendant. We didn't <coughs> sue anyone in this case. Home Depot is not a third party defendant. We're not being sued for indemnity or contribution. Home Depot is simply a defendant, the original defendant, to a consumer fraud class action filed in state court by Mr. Jackson. As such, we're within the plain terms of Section 1441A, are entitled to remove this class action under the Class Action Fairness Act uh, to federal court, and the Fourth Circuit erred in holding otherwise. Because Home Depot is simply a defendant, this court's holding in Shamrock Oil does not govern. As the Court is aware, Shamrock Oil is an original plaintiff case, not an original defendant case. The lower courts have erred in extending the holding of Shamrock Oil to say that basically you have to be an original defendant to be able to remove. The plain text of Section 1441 I'm not quite
2: sure, putting this outside the class action setting, generally all defendants have to agree to removal, and with some other limitations — if you're now an additional defendant to the action, why do you — why don't you need Jackson's approval to remove? And he's not approving because he's opposing
1: — I don't expect he would, Your Honor. That's correct. Um, under 1441A and traditional diversity jurisdiction 1332A, you're correct that all defendants have to remove as a part of the procedure under 1446. Here, though, in Shamrock Oil, the Court went through the history of removal and diversity understood that it was very important to the framers that diversity jurisdiction was in the original Constitution, Article Three, Section 2. Removal was in the original uh, Judiciary Act of 1789, so it was important to the framers that each shot have one shot at, at, a, at a federal forum. But that's not presume. true.
2: All defendants don't have a shot at removal, only if everybody agrees. In an original action, all defendants have to agree to removal, correct?
1: That is correct, Your Honor. So
2: not every defendant individually has a right to removal?
1: Um, Your Honor, in Shamrock Oil, the Court looked at that history, looked at basically Congress has said plaintiffs can't remove. We know that. Originally, the right to removal was given to defendants only for about 20 years after the Civil War. It was given to both plaintiffs and defendants. And then in 1887, again, it was given back to only defendants. So this My Court in Shamrock Oil — point
2: remains that the statute, by its own form — doesn't guarantee the power to every defendant to remove.
1: So in Shamrock Oil, the court, Your Honor, held because of this binary selection that Congress has made, you're either a plaintiff or a defendant. Well, if you're the plaintiff, a, then you're not the defendant. If
2: your theory is this right of removal, how about an involuntary plaintiff? Under Federal Rule 1982, some people can be made involuntary plaintiffs. Do they have a right to remove?
1: Uh, no you're on the right to removal but is given being, to the defendant or the defendants they never had a chance
2: a. they never had the chance to pick a forum that's the main support for your theory
1: so the which shall- is that
2: everybody should have one opportunity to choose their forum correct
1: a defendant, the defendant or the defendants, is entitled to remove under 1441A. In Shamrock Oil, this Court held because the original plaintiff is not solely the defendant. They don't have that right. Therefore, also, you wouldn't need their right to consent to removal by other defendants. In the same scenario, the original defendant that files an additional claim bringing in a new party defendant, they're a plaintiff at that point. This Court, so, in Merchant so, Heats and Light said so, you counsel, step into the role of the
3: plaintiff. I understand your answer to Justice uh, Sotomayor. It's that counterclaim defendants count as defendants for purposes of 1441, uh, but plaintiffs don't. uh, Even though they uh, counterclaim, plaintiffs don't even though they're the original defendant. Now, how can it be that the word defendant expands and contracts like that? I, I, I could understand an argument that everybody who's a defendant in any claim in the case might count as a defendant for purposes of 1441. But what I can't abide, or understand at least, is how the word defendant could could be so procrustean as to just happen to fit you. Your Honor, just to uh, briefly um,
1: adjust what you said in your question, if I may, we're not saying counterclaim defendants. We're saying p- parties that are solely defendants. A counterclaim defendant that's an original plaintiff, we're, we don't say has the right to remove under shamrock oil. We take the court's holding there as a given, but we're not within that holding. We're saying if you're solely a defendant, that's your only role. On the binary choice Congress has established, you're either a plaintiff or a defendant. But, if you're but not a plaintiff prophet, but in, that doesn't sort, you have to be a defendant.
3: Counsel, it's still just a, I, I got it. But that doesn't answer the question, though, all right? You're saying that the plaintiff here is no longer uh, — it, it doesn't qualify as a defendant, even Correct. though the plaintiff in this claim was the original defendant. How, how could that be? how come they're not a defendant too for purposes of 14 again because as this court said in merchant heats and merchant's heat
1: and light excuse me once you file that additional claim third party claim you then that original defendant steps into the role of plaintiff and just like any other plaintiff like the original plaintiff like this defendant plaintiff those parties just go along with the removal. Plaintiffs don't consent to the removal as Does your the theory fall out.
2: apart if we don't accept your claim by claim analysis? You approach this claim by claim. I'm not quite sure how we can you can do that since the statute speaks about a civil action and it talks about removal of an action, not a removal of a claim. But assuming we don't accept your theory that removal is claim by claim, where does that leave you?
1: Uh, Your Honor, you're correct, 1441 and uh, 1453 talk about, I'm sorry, 1332 talk about removing the civil action in uh, 1446. But the point here is this Court held very clearly in Exxon, Exxon v. Allapati. You have to look at the claims within the civil action to determine jurisdiction. Rule 8 is a short and plain That's statement different. of a claim entitling you to relief. It's That's not the civil action that entitles the party to relief. It's the claim. You have to look at the claim to determine the amount in controversy. So one, and once but one, removal,
2: one, the removal statute say you look at the cost, you look at the action, not
1: well. 1446b says that once there's a claim that establishes jurisdiction, that's when you have 30 days to remove. That the claim is key here. The civil action is just the overarching matter so, or lawsuit.
2: It, you don't have a right under your theory to um, well, you have a right that you don't have normally if you have a claim as a counterclaim defendant to — that's not based on original jurisdiction, you're still claiming you have a right to remove? You were never entitled to a federal forum to start with.
1: Your Honor, this case is a qualifying class action under CAFA that, by definition, is within the original jurisdiction of the district. No, now you're looking
2: at the overall claim. You're not saying to us, look at the claim that makes you a defendant.
1: The claim we removed is the class action. We weren't in the case before the class action. Well that is true. So we're not a counterclaim defendant. But under your
2: theory, if there is a counterclaim defendant um, and it's not filing an original action, you could still remove.
1: I am sorry, could you repeat that,
2: Your Honor? Is it if you're looking at the claim, if you're a counterclaim defendant, are you looking at the original action or are you looking at your action? We're looking at
1: the claim that's being removed. But just to be clear, we are not a counterclaim defendant. Rule 13 is specific on what counterclaims are. That's a a claim a party has against an opposing party. We were not in that original case. That's absolutely correct. But 1441 does not say only the original defendant can remove, does not say only claims brought by the original plaintiff can be removed, doesn't say only claims by the original plaintiff against the original defendant can be removed.
4: But, Mr. Barnett, as Justice Sotomayor was saying, 1441A, which is the principal removal statute, says that a civil action — not claims, but a civil action — can be removed where the district courts have original jurisdiction. And what I've always taken that to mean is that to look for original jurisdiction, you look to the plaintiff's complaint. The original plaintiff gives you original jurisdiction. So there, the plaintiff's complaint doesn't have any claims that belong in federal court. So where do you get — the authority to remove under 1441A.
1: Again, Your Honor, th- this class action qualifies under CAFA, which establishes that it's within the original jurisdiction of the district courts.
4: Well, I your could- claim might be under the original jurisdiction of the district courts if it had it, — or not your claim, but the claim to which you are defendant — if that had started the lawsuit. But that didn't start the lawsuit. The lawsuit, the civil action — was started by a claim that's completely non-federal in nature. And you look to the original claim to decide whether the courts have original jurisdiction, don't you?
1: Your Honor, this is a somewhat unusual situation, although it's becoming increasingly less unusual because these class actions keep getting filed. But to your point, Mr. Jackson essentially filed a new civil action in the existing case. Rule 3 says a civil action commences with the filing of a complaint Well, it in might court. be
4: unusual, and it might be that the rules... We're not contemplating this situation, although I don't really think that that's true because the rules contemplate very liberal joinder and of all parties. But regardless, the rule is the rule. And the rule says when you try to figure out removal, you look to whether the court, the federal court, would have original jurisdiction of the case. And to do that, I mean, I have to say there's only one one place to look to decide whether original jurisdiction exists, and that's to the plaintiff's original complaint.
1: Respectfully, Your Honor, I don't believe that's what the statute says. That's not what 1441A says, and that's not what 1332D2 says as far as CAFA removals. Again, a defendant or defendant can remove a civil action that's within the original jurisdiction of the district courts. We are squarely within that language. We are a defendant. All we are in this case is a defendant. For a class action defendant, CAFA gives the original jurisdiction?
4: I mean, the question is, you would, you would be right if this claim started — excuse me, if this action started with the claim against you. But it didn't start with the claim against you. And you're suggesting that we essentially ignore all this language about original jurisdiction in order to, you know, uh, get to this second claim. But the second claim isn't what counts under 1441. What counts under 1441 is the first claim.
1: Your Honor, I would agree with that analysis if 1441A said only claims brought by the original plaintiff or only the original defendant can remove, but it doesn't say that. All it says is original jurisdiction. This class action is within the original jurisdiction.
4: I mean, to — I'm I'm repeating myself, but to decide whether original jurisdiction exists, you look to the original claim. That's what original jurisdiction is.
1: Well, Your Honor, again — we don't think that's that we think that's an atextual reading of the statute. I would also point out that the other side has said that the sort of unanimous view of lower courts that you can only have the original defendant remove and you can't look beyond that. Actually the Fifth and Eleventh Circuits have allowed additional party defendants, new defendants added to cases to remove. So the analysis you're talking about has not been uniformly applied throughout the federal courts. We think it only makes sense. I mean again, you're we're not in the case prior the, only, I, the first time we brought in the case is with a summons and a, under rule four the summons goes to the defendant that's the plain language we got a summons and complaint in this case we had
5: to to be brought into the case we're not in the case otherwise are you this and I, I there's what i'm about to say has some flaw and i'm trying to figure out what it is Is they don't really make this argument and therefore but I, but i it stopped me And uh, I wanted to see what the answer was. All right. A class action may be removed, right? Correct. Okay. So we go look to see what is a class action. And then we have a definition in 1332 for these purposes. It says the term class action means any civil action, okay, this is a civil action, filed under Rule 23, Well, a civil action filed under Rule 23. I mean, the plaintiff filed a civil action under Rule 23. Or a state court equivalent. But that wasn't a class action. And you didn't file a civil action under Rule 23. What you were were the defendants. And you brought a counterclaim against a third party, or you're the third party, or whatever. We didn't didn't bring a counterclaim. No, 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 it's it's somebody that, I'm sorry, the other, the other. The plaintiff, no, it's not the plaintiff. The plaintiff, see, that's the hard part. Uh, It's like an Abbott and Costello movie, you know, I mean, but, but look, A sued B. And A's the plaintiff, and B's the defendant. And then B sued you. Correct. And so you're C. (laughs) <laughs> okay, over here. So being C over here, B, who's the one who sued you? Is he? Did he file a civil action under Rule Twenty Three? Yes, I, we I think he did, did. Did he? Where does it say think he think did? Cleared, what he, he did was he filed a. I think it yeah,
4: clearly yeah, he clearly did. He did says under PACA, he bring,
5: That's what he says. But he's bringing within the rules. He's bringing within the rules, uh, what is it called, a third-party claim? Uh, Again, Your Honor, there's a lot
1: of shorthand that's involved in this, and unfortunately, it's just generally inaccurate. We're not a counterclaim defendant. We're not a
5: third-party defendant. Forget what you're not, but I want you to know, I realize that, but it's only if it's a class action, a civil action filed under Rule 23. Now, did the person who filed the class action, whose name happens to be B, (laughs) did that person file a civil action under Rule 23. Yes, Your Honor. So yes, and I w- how do I we would, know that?
1: I would turn the Court's attention to dark Cherokee, where you ran through the CAFA analysis on the slip opinion of page 2 and said, 1453 directs you to 1332D, as you noted. Mm-hmm. We look at D1 for the definitions of class yes. actions. That's a filing under Federal Rule 23 or a state equivalent. It is? Where does it say that? In 1332D1.
5: No, no, I know. Where does it say the rules that when a defendant— Files a class action, namely B, against C, that that is an action filed, a civil action, because civil actions are usually filed by plaintiffs. Uh, uh, Where does it say that that action filed by B? Is a civil action filed under Rule 23. That's a, a couple party. things.
1: 1332 D just refers to a filing by a representative party. That's the language the statute uses. Mr. Jackson certainly is a representative party. He's a class representative. What he refers case? to himself as a plaintiff way you're in
5: the file. And the civil action because is defined in D2. Is, it says a civil action. The argument is that
6: yeah. what Good. Mr. Jackson filed. Against you was not a civil action filed under Rule 23. Exactly. And if that is the case, then I don't know what rules would govern this claim that Jackson filed against you. Uh, Is this some kind of class action? That is not — this some sort of suit that is sort of like a class action, but it's not under Rule 23. So none of the requirements of Rule 23 would apply. I mean, the argument is — it's a clever argument. Uh, comes out of I don't know where. The argument is, no, it's not — he didn't file a class action against you under Rule 23. But when the Court adjudicates this action, it should apply the rules that it should apply the, the the Rule 23 rules.
1: Your Honor, again, I would just point the Court to Rule 3 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, which says a civil action is commenced by filing a complaint in a court. Exactly. She filed a class action complaint in court against home. No, court. no, that's the that problem. That commences a civil action. That,
4: that's the problem. Mr. Barnett, under your theory, every time one party joins another per- party, we would have a new civil action. But we don't. We only have one civil action, and the civil action includes a multitude of claims, or can, between and among a wide range of parties. But it's only one civil action. Your Honor,
1: that's not our position. A counterclaim against an original plaintiff would not constitute a new new civil action. But when you're bringing in a new defendant by summons —
4: You're excluding one kind of claim, which is the claim against an original plaintiff. But there there can be many, many parties under uh, the the federal rules, and there can be counterclaims, and there can be cross-claims, and there can be impleaders, and there can be all kinds of arrows going in every which direction. And you're suggesting that every one of those is a new civil action. Under Rule 1441A, which is the one that I'm focusing on. And I'm suggesting that that's wrong. There's only one civil action. And it's the action that's brought by the original plaintiff. No, Your,
1: Your Honor, respectfully, we disagree. I'm not arguing all these other things. I'm saying focus on this case. Substance governs, not labels of the party's situation. That's this, this Court's holding in the city of Indianapolis. You Look at the substance of this. Home Depot was not in the case. This document is just a class-action complaint against us. And Rule 3 clearly says filing a complaint in court Establishes a civil action. Mr. Burnett, you're suggesting
4: that we should look at this case as though the original claim never occurred, and we should pretend that the claim started with the original defendant. But the case did not start with the original defendant. The civil action started with the original plaintiff, who brought a claim against a defendant, who then brought a claim against you. And this is all. I mean, of course, the claim against you is governed by Rule 23. But all of these claims are one civil action. And the question is, what gives you the ability to remove that civil action if there's no original jurisdiction over it?
1: The plain language of 1441 and CAFA give us original jurisdiction over this claim.
4: Over the claim, but but 1441 does not speak in terms of claims.
1: Right. 1446 does. 1441C does refer to claims. 1446B says the procedure starts when you have a claim that establishes federal jurisdiction. This court in Exxon said once you have one claim within a civil action, the entire civil action is removed. We're saying you remove — Yeah, the the reason
4: why claims are are there is that's to deal with a plaintiff that's bringing — Three claims, and one of them raises a federal question, and two of them don't. And then all that 1446 is saying is that when you're in that position, the one claim that raises a federal question is going to be able to get you into federal court. So there's your claim-by-claim analysis. But the action is what is removed, and the action is removed by determining whether there's original jurisdiction, which is determined by looking to the original complaint, uh,
1: respectfully, Your Honor, that's not what 1441A says. So we're, we're traveling under the plain language of that statute, the plain language of CAFA. And we would say you would, you would remove, certainly would remove the entire civil action if there is um, supplemental jurisdiction over that original $10,000 debt collection action by city against Mr. Jackson. Of course, those claims are no longer in the case at all. No claims by or against city are longer in the case. But you would either keep that under supplemental jurisdiction or sever it off and send it back to state court. A $10,000 claim belongs in state court probably. But we, we can remove the class action. It's within the original jurisdiction of the district courts. That's what CAFA clearly says. We're not expanding federal jurisdiction. This case could have been filed as a standalone against us in federal court or could have been filed as a standalone against us in state court, and we would have removed it. The fact that Mr. Jackson chose to file a new class action proceeding in an existing case, that, that does not serve to defeat removal. I mean, that's, what, that's the, the approach the plans are trying to take, but that's not how uh, the law operates. Couple other things, Your Honor. I would just mention um, the, the cases uh, following Shamrock Oil that have held the lower court cases that have held that um, only original defendants can remove. Those are all based on the presumption against removal uh, that this court already held in Dark Cherokee does not apply to CAFA. and frankly, that that presumption really does not appear to be well founded in any event. Any event when you look at the significance the framers put on diversity jurisdiction, put on removal jurisdiction. When you look at this Court's cases, like uh, Exxon again, where, we say, where the Court said, we're not going to apply jurisdictional statutes too broadly, but nor are we going to read them too narrowly. Or you look at a case like Ray's Mata that says, Federal Courts have a virtually unflagging obligation to exercise jurisdiction where it's found. And then when you have the, the Supremacy Clause in the Constitution Basically, these are cases of concurrent jurisdiction. They're going to go forward in one venue or the other, state or federal, but there's no reason for federal courts to put a thumb on the scale and send them to state court to resolve doubts in favor of remand. That just shouldn't apply in a traditional diversity setting, but the court's already held under CAFA. It does not apply. Can I ask a
2: question about, because it is important to me, about how lower courts have interpreted things for decades now, since shamrock. Um, basically, your argument has been rejected by virtually every district court. Not surprising it hasn't gone to the circuit courts because you, you generally can't appeal a remand.
1: pre CAFA, that's correct, Your Honor. That's
2: correct. So to me, doesn't that have some force? Couldn't and shouldn't I presume that given the state – of the law, which was unanimity on this question, why shouldn't I presume Congress, in in creating this class action statute removal and in uh, addressing these questions over the years, wouldn't have understood that this was the state of the law, that your position was not accepted
1: Well, again, Your Honor, um, that's actually not an accurate state of the law. As we point out in our brief, the 5th and 11th circuits have allowed uh, additional parties, third parties, to remove in these circumstances. Not class action cases, but traditional cases, traditional diversity cases. Those cases are from the 80s and 90s. So on this point about if you rule in our favor, there's going to be this flood of cases in the federal courts, I would say look at the 5th and 11th circuit. Have there been a flood of cases in those circuits? No, there haven't. And that's the law. As you point out, there was not a lot of circuit law on this pre-CAFA. This issue, I think tellingly, only arose post-CAFA as a way to get around CAFA. There were no counterclaim class actions being filed before CAFA because there were much easier ways for plaintiffs to stay out of federal court. It only is when CAFA came into play that this device became uh, more widely used. And it's a growing trend. Um,
5: uh, I hate to do this, but let me do the — I don't hate that much. If you have something else important to say, I'll figure it out. No, go ahead, Your Honor. I mean, I, uh, Not as important as what you're going to say, I'm sure. Not — no, that is not likely so. Look, look what I'm doing, which I, which you — which you haven't. I'm sorry. I don't think I, I've shown you what I'm doing. I'm going back to where it says in 1453B, what is it we can remove We can remove — No, wait.
0: Less than that. i — I'll figure it out (laughs) later. I don't want to interrupt your rebuttal. All right. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel.
7: Mr. Blant? Mr. Chief Justice, and if it please, the Court. Since the original jurisdiction idea has really been set forth here — and Justice Sotomayor correctly pointed out that the case law under 1444A is virtually unanimous on our behalf, and what my friend says is that actually there's a division among the case law that the Fifth Circuit, the Eleventh Circuit disagreed. The Fifth and Eleventh Circuit cases, Your Honors, are talking about a different statute. It's not 1441A, it's 1441C. 1441C draws the exact distinction that Justice Kagan draws. In other words, 1441C talks about claims. 1441A talks about a civil action, the single unitary civil action that starts when a plaintiff files a complaint.
0: Well, but it, it — the 1446B, uh, which is setting forth the procedures for removal, it refers to the notice of removal of a civil action or proceeding. Yes, Your Honor. Well, so it doesn't have to just be a civil action, does it? Well, However you want to conceptualize it, it seems to me that you might conceptualize it as including what would otherwise be a freestanding proceeding, such as the one that where B sued C. Uh, uh, but then it also talks about a proceeding. And even if you don't think that's a civil action properly uh, conceived, it's certainly a proceeding of some kind, isn't it? Well... I don't think it's a,
7: a, a proceeding is not um, uh, an action over which you'd have original jurisdiction under or 1441A. And as I understand the relationship between 1441A and 1446, Your Honor, 1441A is, is the part of the removal statutes that says, here are the types of here, — here are cases over which there's removal jurisdiction — And then 1446 are the procedures that go through. You have to have — everyone has to agree, and you have to do it within so many days, and this sort of thing. Well, do you think those procedures apply to 1441A? They um, they do apply to 1441A, except where they've been amended by CAFA, but 1441A is where the grant of original jurisdiction — or where the grant of jurisdiction comes from, and this Court has repeatedly said that if there is not original jurisdiction over the claims in the plaintiff — excuse me, over the plaintiff's complaint — if there's not original jurisdiction over the plaintiff's complaint, that you don't you don't meet the stand, you don't meet you don't qualify for um, removal. So that was that goes back to the Planters Bank case, the Union Planters Bank case in 1894 is a central case that sets this out. Then it was applied the next year in a diversity case, the Mexican National, National Railroad case. Our, our, my friend has said that, that the original jurisdiction rule doesn't apply in diversity cases. That's wrong. It was applied in a diversity case right after it was first enunciated by this Court. And the original jurisdiction rule of 1441A is where all, all of the district courts, starting in the 1950s, um, that were looking at shamrock oil and then said, yes, the same rule that applies in shamrock oil also applies to third party um, defendants, counterclaimants, claimants, cross claimants, what have you. That it doesn't turn upon the nature of whatever state or federal rule, procedural rule, is bringing someone in, that the substantive question of is there jurisdiction goes back to the original jurisdiction test. And that's why the 1441A distinction between 1441A and fourteen. a um, uh, uh, 41C, which relies upon a claim is so important. There are other statutes that create federal jurisdiction over claims. For example, the bankruptcy code. My friend would have a terrific argument, and we would be in terrible shape if we were arguing a bankruptcy case. But because we are arguing under — because the jurisdictional test here is 1441A, Um, which has always turned on, can you find jurisdiction in the plaintiff's complaint? It's really a different animal. But what
6: you're arguing is not based on the language, not based on the term original jurisdiction in 1441. It's based on the well-pleaded complaint rule. Am I right on that? Um, uh, Actually, Your Honor, I I don't think you are right. And can I try and explain? I
7: think this is sort of complicated because I think the Court has sometimes used these words um, to mean the same things, and they really don't. So, the, the original jurisdiction rule for 1441A, what it says is that you look to see whether there is jurisdiction from the plaintiff's complaint. Um, yeah, plaintiff. that's but, the — But, but — but, so, I'm sorry, I didn't — No, go ahead. Okay. So the well-pleaded complaint rule, by contrast, comes from 1331, which is the substantive — um, the, the, the federal question jurisdiction statute. And it's a way of finding out — is there original jurisdiction? So you only look at the complaint, but the well-completed yeah, complaint. But you're saying you're,
6: you're, you're, there would be original jurisdiction if this claim were in the case at the beginning. You would agree with that. So you're saying it's original jurisdiction at the beginning, right? That's yeah, what. You, that's right. So you're reading that into the text. Well, and original may, is
4: at the beginning, isn't it?
6: or oh, well, it's a ri-
4: jurisdiction at the beginning from the original complaint.
6: I, I totally agree. Do you with you agree with Justice. <laughs> yes, I agree absolutely. with Justice Kennedy's I mean, answer to my they're,
7: question. They're, uh, I don't. I, I feel like I'm making a TV commercial, but there's only one original. You know, there's the original complaint, there's the original civil action, and then, then there are claims within it. Well, this so, is
6: this is this case is very very complicated. Let's go let's go back step by step. Put aside this question of original jurisdiction. If we look at the text, we have a reference to the defendant or the defendants. So Home Depot would qualify there would it not
7: No because in in the context of 1441A defendant is in that setting um, is a defendant in a civil action um, where there is original okay, jurisdiction. Okay, you're reading
6: things into it. But in the ordinary sense of the term, are they, they, are they not defendants? There, there, they there are, are some kind of defendants. There,
7: and, and there are lots of colloquial ways in which they would be termed a defendant. But within the meaning of 1441A, every court Yeah, okay.
6: And it. where does this come from? All right? So we start out with a term that's big enough to encompass them. Now we have a limitation. Where does this limitation come from? It comes from shamrock oil. Does it not? That's the the origin of it um, uh, Shamrock oil was the first case
7: to look at a counterclaim defendant from this court um, um, yes
6: right and so Shamrock oil basically says look you you started out as the plaintiff and you chose the state forum and now that you have been sued with a counterclaim you can't you know, you you chose the state court, and you're stuck in state court, so you can't remove it to federal court. I, I don't see that Shamrock Oil goes any further than that.
7: Well, I — First, I want to — Shamrock Oil is is ultimately looking at at the text. There's language in Shamrock Oil when they said this is not about waiver. What this is about is what did Congress provide to you. And so there's key language in Shamrock that says it's not about waiver, but it's about what did Congress provide to you. And so then the question is, Shamrock, if it's Shamrock — in Shamrock, you didn't have an, um, an original jurisdiction issue because Shamrock chose to sue in state court, but they could have sued in federal court. This case is different. Citibank could never have brought this case in federal court. So there was never original jurisdiction here where there was
6: original jurisdiction in Shamrock. So Shamrock didn't talk about our argument. Citibank is gone. And, you know, the Citibank brought a little case on credit card debt in state court. And then suddenly this thing gets transmogrified into a class action that uh, you say, well, this one has to stay in state court despite CAFA, if it had been brought originally in this form, it would be removable under CAFA. That's what Congress wanted. And somebody came up with this idea of using this sort of proceeding as a way of getting around CAFA. And there's a law review article that actually says after CAFA, well, look, we found a way to get around CAFA so that we can keep these things in state court. Is that not correct? Um, it, there, there, there are a number of uh, premises, Your
7: Honour, was which I, st- I strongly disagree. So. First of all, um, Caffa, um doesn't change what 1441A says. CAFA is in the in the in the Senate report, which this court treated as being um, a, a, having presidential value in the Dart Cherokee case. The, the 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 Senate report said that CAFA was intended. The, the 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 section 1453, which Justice Breyer was quoting from earlier, was intended to make some alterations to, but is but is essentially adopting 1440A. The idea of having counterclaims defendants has, has been around forever. The idea that there has been some jump in class action counterclaims simply is not empirically true. There's a law review article by an advocate. It's not really a law review article and a peer-reviewed article. I think it's like more like a blog. But anyhow, a guy writes an article saying, since we're worried this is going to be a lot when of a problem. are law review articles peer-reviewed? You know, that's a good they? point. You're Pears totally right. I, I'm so sorry. I, I should never have said that. You're, you're right. Law review be, articles are student-reviewed. They they're not peer-reviewed. Peer reviewed. I, I I withdraw. That was
5: impossible. I'm fine on law review articles. <laughs> um, <laughs> (laughs) I have a question. I think they have very good policy arguments on the other side. I understand it. I don't think Shamrock really covers it. So I might, at least for purposes of argument, assume they are a defendant under 1441, and if they were alone, they could just remove the case. And when they remove it and get into district court, if they get it into district court, Rule 23 applies. I have no problem with that for hypothetical for this question. Where I got stuck, which you will get me out of, <laughs> is that I think they can't get into federal court without 1453 because not all defendants agree with them. Or oh, there are a variety of reasons they need 1453. Is I, that right? So I, I, I agree, No, I'm just saying, is that it in, right? It is. Okay, now, now, if they need 1453, I go to 1453 and I look who can, who can take advantage of 1453. And it talks about a class action. Now, they could surely do it. We didn't, we just stopped there. But then it says class action shall have the meanings given to that term under 1332 D1. This is just language. It's just language, no policy, no nothing. So I turned to 1332 D1, right? And what do I discover when I get there in the first words? What it says is class action, the very word I just left, the very word that referred me here means any civil action filed under Rule 23. So I look. Was this a civil action filed under Rule 23? Now I'm over with Justice Kagan. A civil action is an action brought by a plaintiff. And that's just what it happens to be. It doesn't have to do with claims. And therefore, since this isn't a civil action filed only filed, not what governs it. If they're in federal court, filed under Rule Twenty Three, it can't. They can't take advantage of Fourteen Fifty Three because they don't fit within the definition. Now, am I right? You're right about that. If yes. I'm right about that, why didn't you make that argument? Um, because Fourteen Fifty Three
7: is um, essentially. Uh, uh, the 1453 amends and changes essentially some of the provisions of 1446 that the, that the Chief Justice was talking about. Essentially, they track each other. 1446 sets out the rules for removal, and then there were several rules uh, around CAFA where, where, the, where Congress was concerned that there were abuses, the cases were being, um, were being kept in state court that should be in federal court, so just for class actions — 1453 changes some of the procedural rules. So you no longer require unanimity of all the defendants. You can have a defendant who's not um, — uh, the no, defendant at home stake and goes forth. But 1453 is not by itself a grant of um, federal jurisdiction. Nobody Wait, says it is. All I'm is. saying,
5: do they need 1453 to be able to remove? For, for Cafe? Yes, okay. And, they, and look, well, who does it cover? And it covers a class action as defined in a different statute. I don't care if they said class action defined in the antitrust law. Uh, then I'd go and look and see how they defined it in the antitrust law or defined in, I don't care what, I mean, defined in the criminal code. But I, they referred me to that, so I went and looked at that. And when I looked at that, I saw class action is defined as I just said it. Okay, so my question is, same question, great argument for you. Why didn't you make it? And so there's something wrong with my thinking, um, and that's what I'm trying to find. Uh, well, I think I think that we
7: were focusing on on 1440. A, as the grant of removal jurisdiction, 1446 as the procedures, and 1453 not as a new grant of removal jurisdiction, but just more procedures. And so to the extent that there's just no original jurisdiction over civil action under 1440A, we think that's the end of it. So that's where we have focused the vast majority of our advocacy. I think that the point you make about 1453 is, is extremely clever and wish we had had, had articulated it more better. But um, I think I wasn't think that, trying to help you. But, but I do think that 1440 <laughs> A is is where, where this case starts and ends. The original jurisdiction cases going back to the 1890s really govern. Um, I want to point out for a second now, since there's been a lot of discussion about this difference between a civil action and a claim, and also this word defendant, if it's defendant now, is not just the original defendant, but a defendant's a cross claim or a counterclaim or whatever different rule you want to use 13, 14, 19, or, or something like that, that it's going to have a gigantic effect not on class actions but on all sorts of individual cases. And here's why. So picture just a regular state law negligence case um, where defendants, resident of the same state as the plaintiff. um, And the defendant would really like to be in federal courts. They'd like their first bite at the apple, right? Um, And um, they have an out-of-state insurer. Right now, if that defendant brings a claim against the out-of-state insurer, no no diversity jurisdiction, even if it's over the jurisdictional amount because you don't have complete diversity. You have a defendant and a plaintiff, the same. Under their rule, now what you do is you look at it claim by claim instead of by this original civil action, going back to the word original. So if you now start looking at things claim by claim, there is diversity between the two defendants. So every single time you have a personal injury case in which there's a defendant who wants to be out of federal court and they have an out of state insurer, so basically any company who's not in Connecticut will be able to now name their insurance company through uh, uh, some sort of third-party claim. And now why isn't there diversity jurisdiction? The simple answer is there is. Another thing that their idea is of, of broadening the idea of definition of, of what is a defendant from the, you know, from the rule that has been affirmed by literally dozens and dozens of district courts and, and circuit courts around the country for years, and you would go from 1448's limit on civil action to instead have a, a, a rule that's going to turn upon claims is you could start having a lot of business-to-business disputes that right now would be in state court that could get into federal court. So, for example, there are a lot of cases in which corporations would rather have their cases, with all respect to the federal courts, in Delaware state courts where there's a lot of sophistication, a lot of rules that have been built up. There are a lot of Silicon Valley companies who are more interested in being in um, uh, in San Jose, uh, in the state courts of California, where there's a lot of sophistication around their particular issues. That's built up. So what happens if you're a defendant in one of these cases and you suddenly decide, you know, I really wish I hadn't made this deal because the law that's built up is bad for me? You find another company bring a cross-claim against them. Now, they're, under their theory, um, whether or not there's diversity is based upon a claim-by-claim basis. You look at them and say, oh, we're going to bring a cross-claim against them. They're a defendant because even though under all the law that's existed up to now, we're now going to change this. And defendant's not just going to be the defendant the original claim. They're going to be a cross-claim, counter-claim, whatever. Um, and those cases, a company's going to be able to change its mind and bring those cases. I, and I have, Perhaps it's I not have.
6: possible to uh, decide this case in a way that doesn't uh, go as it uh, — doesn't uh, effectively decide all these other different situations that you've, you've posited. But if we look just at what happened here, and this, in, this involves not — I mean, this implicates not just the original removal statute, but CAFA. Is there any good reason why a claim like this, if you accept CAFA, why this should be — should not be removable to to Federal court? Yes,
7: Your Honor, because CAFA is a balancing act. CAFA is if, — if CAFA was a preemption statute, it would not be a field preemption. It would be an express preemption. Congress saw certain problems that they were unhappy about,
6: and they solved those problems. But you it, think CAFA said, well, if, if a claim like this is filed originally in Federal — in State Court, it can be removed. But if it comes into the State Court <coughs> in this strange sort of backdoor way — then it has to stay in State court. you really think that that's a, a, a possible decision Congress would make? Um, so, first of all, I, I do think it's possible because, um, it's just as
7: Sotomayor said earlier, I think that you assume that Congress knows the, the backdrop against which it's, it's legislating. They have a bunch of lawyers when they're writing these laws. Congress had repeatedly changed um, the, 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 um, the jurisdiction statute. So in 2011, there was the amendment to overturn this Court's decision in the Holmes versus Fornato case, where the Congress said any party can remove a case, not a defendant in the um, — the American Invent Act. The American well, Invent mean, Act. I great. mean, that's
0: based on Congress the, could have done it.
6: The idea that they 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 were aware of these district court cases, and they're, they're almost all district court cases. That's great. And correct. they said, "Well, okay, we we want to accept that." Right. I mean, that's. I mean, it's quite possible that Congress
7: never thought of this because it just wasn't really a very big problem, and it wasn't one of the issues that came up in the hearings. I, I sort of fought, tracked the hearings at the time; I don't remember anyone talking about it. I mean, this court has said on a number of occasions that even if you think that there was something that, if Congress had thought about, they would have done something, you can't engraft a solution into what Congress said to to, to address the problem. I but mean, is I think Home it's Depot, possible. That
0: Congress- I'm sorry. Is Home Depot a defendant under 1453?
7: Um, uh, uh, no, Your Honor, because and what, what is it then? Uh, it's a, it's a it's a counterclaim or third third party claim def- um, defendant, and that's it's just different than a defendant for. a per- — So when 14- it says
0: any defendant, that doesn't include that right, kind because, of defendant.
7: Right. Because. The word defendant in the removal statutes has this this fixed meaning from 1440A, and putting the word any in front of it doesn't change. So if if Congress had a statute that said — or the statute about rabbits, and then they amended and said any rabbit, that doesn't mean that a weasel or a gerbil becomes a rabbit. You know, it's still — the word any in front of a noun leaves the noun as what it is. Well, but uh,
0: that still means that a brown rabbit is a rabbit. In other words, when you were describing what they were, you said a counterclaim defendant or a third-party defendant. It's a type of defendant, and if you have a statute that says any defendant, it would seem that it includes those as well. It, it's a type of defendant in a colloquial way, Your Honor, but I, don't, I, I
7: disagree with the concept that it's a type of defendant for purposes of the removal statutes. Where do you.
0: people speak colloquially of third-party defendants? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Which um, was not necessarily meant that way. I it, mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's only used as a fairly technical term.
7: Right. And, 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 and in the removal statutes, the word defendant has, has this meaning where it, it's, it's not by itself, but it's cabined by um, civil action uh, on one side and original jurisdiction on the other side, which this Court has, has repeatedly interpreted to say that, that third-party um counter-claimants and so forth and in all other settings are not included. So the only question is, does CAFA change anything by sticking the word any in front of it? And, but the thing is, we know what Congress was trying to do in that sentence. What Congress was trying to do was there was a concern that plaintiff's lawyers were supposedly going out and suing several defendants, and they would pick one who was sort of their buddy, who was not going to agree to removal. And so then that one, so you wouldn't be able to get unanimous agreement from all the defendants to remove. And so that's what that provision was aimed at, was the unanimous consent that everyone was supposed to agree. And the Senate report says that clear as day. And if you read the whole sentence in context, what the word any there means is each and every. It means each and every. And they're saying each and every defendant separately has the right to remove this case to
4: federal court. But it
5: does say, I mean, you know, you heard his policy argument. It's a little hard to see why, if you understand it. And he does use the the rules, use the word defendant to refer to his client in this situation. The statutes use it. It has some other qualifications in front of it. Uh, So, policy — Language is possible. Why isn't he right? A, and I grant you that I've only been able to say that once I got into this. I, I had to get through the argument, but I don't know the answer to that. Or, or, so why isn't he on the policy and on the — On the policy. On the policy oh. and on the brown rabbit analogy. Okay. Um, cattle was a compromise. You know, um, uh, there were, uh,
7: the, the Chamber of Commerce brief colorfully calls it a grinding eight-year battle um, there were a series of changes that were made over it. There were times in which it was going to cover more than it ended up covering. It shrunk somewhat. There were a lot of people who wanted more cases to stay in court. The, the Senate report, actually, they have one of those things, you know, where they say, like, there's, like, this sort of list, like, five myths. But they say things that people — bad things people say about CAFA but aren't true. One of them was, well, some people say it's going to federalize all class actions. Actually, we expect that more than 50 percent of class actions will remain in state court after CAFA. It was never intended to federalize all class actions. Judge Easterbrook of uh, the Seventh Circuit in the First, excuse me, the, the first Bank case um, um, said, look, if Congress had wanted to say we want to federalize all large multi-state class actions, they could have said that. They could have written the equivalent of a field preemption. But instead of treating this as something where they were trying to federalize all class actions, they didn't throw a hand grenade. They were shooting rifle shots at particular abuses that they saw. And you can see it when you look at how 1453 tracks 1446. There are certain things that Congress was upset about, and they were trying to fix those things, and they weren't trying to to federalize everything else. There are a lot of reasons why you don't want every single class action in a federal court. I mean, this case, for example, is a case involving 286 people, um, 90 percent of whom live in North Carolina who have claims entirely under North Carolina law um, uh, against a North Carolina defendant and Home Depot. Um, so, I mean, this is not the kind of case. This case, even if there's a way in which this entire argument, in some ways, Your Honors, is, um, is, is, a, is, a, is a, well, incredibly complicated for me, at least, is, a, uh, uh, is an abstraction in the sense that this case is going to end up in state court under the, under, under the um uh, the home state removal, the local, um, the local uh, removal section anyhow of CAFA. CAFA has an exception that we, that we put forward in our brief. This is a local controversy if you've ever heard of one. Um, but CAFA was not attempting to, 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 to nationalize everything. If they had, they would have gone in a different way. There are a lot of decisions Congress has made here. When they've wanted to say claims, they've said in the bankruptcy code in 1441 claims. When they wanted to say civil action, they've meant something else. If they'd wanted to federalize everything, they would have federalized everything they didn't want to here. Um, if they had wanted to say 3rd party e- crowner claimants, they would have done exactly what they did in the America Invents Act, where when they didn't like one of this Court's decisions, that w- admittedly was under the well-pleaded complaint rule, but in footnote two... Um, This Court cited the exact same language um, that we were talking about under the original jurisdiction statute, and so it's clear that that it's a removal rule. It's not a a subject matter jurisdiction rule. It's a removal rule, and the same same rule has been applied in a bunch of diversity cases. Congress made that decision in that statute, and they didn't make that decision here. Um, This is an issue where if Congress is unhappy about this, they sure know how to fix it. They've done, they've done the exact same thing in the American Vents Act. The bankruptcy code is written differently. They know how to say party instead of defendant. They know how to say claim instead of civil action. The, 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 the statutes here, you know, it may well be that if Congress had thought about this in CAFA, they'd have said, well, we don't really like that. They would have done something differently. But you can't rewrite the statute for them on the grounds that, they're, that, they, well, didn't, they, that they
6: didn't — Well, they could have been — they surely — they could have been more specific in a way that favors Home Depot. They also could have been more specific in a way that favors you, Right. Uh, It's pretty hard to argue that when they said any defendants, they they said, we're going to to say any defendants because we don't want to include the kind of defendant that Home Depot is. Well, it's
7: in a sentence where if you look at the sentence as a whole, if you look at the sentence as a whole, it says — Class action may be removed in accordance with Section 1446 without regard to whether any defendant is a citizen of the state in which the action was brought, except that such action may be removed by any defendant without the consent of all defendants. When they use the word any there, they mean each and every. What they are trying to do is solve the problem I was just talking about a second ago about where you have unanimous, where you, the unanimous requirement that everyone has to agree to remove. It's, it's absolutely crystal clear what they meant, and they, and they said in the Senate report what they meant. And so to take that word and say that now it's going to change the nature of a defendant so that the section 1440A is now going to mean something different for class actions, and it means everywhere else, that's really a problem. Well, why you
0: know, doesn't — okay, each and every. Why doesn't it mean each and every defendant in the civil action, in the proceeding?
7: The, because what, what they're what the point of what they're saying is they're saying each and every defendant has a separate right to decide that they want to remove the case to federal court, that you don't have to have unanimity. And the Congress said the point of what we're aiming at here in the, in the Senate report was to avoid unanimity. Well, it still works with respect to Home Depot. I, I with respect on, your honor it it's it is a a, a procedural change it that 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 tracks part of fourteen forty six and says this doesn't apply here but it is not changing who has the right, the power to remove under 1440A, where the word defendant has a different meaning. The word defendant there talks about original jurisdiction, and Home Depot certainly does not have original jurisdiction here under the the whole line of cases, both from this Court and then the ton of district court cases that came afterwards applying it to third-party counterclaim. Is what
4: you're saying, Mr. Bland, that 1446 changes a number of the procedures by which you can remove? It does not. It never— 1453 port- is the CAFA one. So 1453. 1453. changes 1446. Right. Sorry, but otherwise exactly you're— Exactly right. Sorry. Um, uh, I'm, I'm confusing things in an effort to make them more clear. <laughs> so it's my life. For- 1453 changes a number of the procedures in 1446 so that there are different procedures in CAFA suits as to removal. 1453 does not—does not purport does not to and simply does not— affect the grant of removal jurisdiction. The grant of removal jurisdiction can only be found in one place, and that's in 1441A.
5: Yes,
7: exactly, Your Honor. And so if there are no further questions, that's exactly right. And if Congress wanted to change it, they could have. Thank you so much, Your Honor.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Uh, Five minutes, Mr. Barnett. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. A couple
1: quick points, Your Honors. The compromises that were done in CAFA were on things like, is the amount of controversy going to be $1 million or $10 million? And they set on $5 million. There are no compromises on these qualifying $5 million plus minimal diversity class actions. Those are all capable of being removed under CAFA. On Justice Kagan's original jurisdiction question, just to be clear, original jurisdiction does not mean the case as originally filed. 1446B and 1332D7 in CAFA both recognize a case can start out not within the original jurisdiction, not removable, can become removable subsequently and within the original jurisdiction. And that's exactly what happened here. We had a qualifying class action filed under CAFA that allows for removal. On Justice Kavanaugh's question, of course we're a defendant. I mean, they want $5 million plus plus from us. I I don't know what else you would call us. We're a defendant. Um, In conclusion, Your Honors, Home Depot is simply and solely a defendant. Shamrock Oil's holdings should not be extended to parties like Home Depot that are solely defendants. Home Depot is within the plain language of 1441A and is entitled to remove this case under CAFA. The
0: fourth, ju- fourth Circuit's judgment should be reversed. Thank you. Thank you, Counsel. The case is submitted.